There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Our ability to work together. That's our greatest strength. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a Star Trek Strange New World podcast on the Fangirl Zone. I am Redshirt Dave. And joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and today we'll be discussing Episode 2 of Season 1 of Star Trek Strange New World. <laughs> I was telling people at the local comic book shop that uh, this episode was good for enterprise porn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get to see it dance and weave and bop and something they really couldn't do on the original series. They just, like, shot it by a camera. There it goes. Yep. <laughs> this one is all over the place. Glad to see it. So, initial thoughts. Want me to go first? Because uh, I'm dying to tell you. I know we're not rating it, but I'm dying to tell you. Okay. Four to five Ortega's navel gazers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that she, was pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What the hell?" She is. She is one casual crew member. Yeah, and playing that mean old trick on Uhura, making her dress yeah. up in dress uniform. Sucker. <laughs> Sucker. It was funny to see Uhura away from the comms when she got back from the away mission. They they kept. Uh, Oh, it was an ensign there, I think. Yeah. Oh, she is just a cadet, so. Right, yeah. I think it was Ensign Christina. Yeah. yeah. How about that? Yes. So what, what were your thoughts? I enjoyed the hell out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I love seeing Pike get part of the crew together for dinner and, and just being as casual as casual can be. That was yeah. awesome. And of course, yeah, if that was Kirk, he'd be, be too busy looking at that. Oh, what was her name? She wasn't an ensign. Well, she was the blonde. She was Nerd on the chapel. show. No, not your. Not, no, not no chapel. No, she was. That's right. Brunette. I'll, oh, I'll get it. We continue, right. Steve. Sorry yes. to <laughs> And it it was one of those. Yeah, just let's pick on Uhura the whole time, but she ends up saving the day. So that was really nice to see her come through when it wasn't looking real good there for a while. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was a near thing, like, I'm not so sure they're going to figure this out. Right, <laughs> you, yeah. You know they're going to, but. Yeah, it was a little iffy. Oh, I got it. Yeoman ran. Janice ran. Yes. Yeah, you're, right. He, you're right. He invited everybody the next day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it just hurt him. She'd, she'd show up for the party, like, where's everybody? Oh, that's tomorrow. It's just you and me tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, Bach actually zapped Ohura with a couple of. Sharp criticisms, too. Yes. Yeah, about not being sure. Get out of the way and let somebody who who is in. It's like, Ow. whoa. Whoa, I know. And, of course, his uh, <laughs> pep talk. Work in progress. <laughs> Definitely a work in progress. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where we've seen Celia Rose Gooding before. I'm not sure if we have. I don't think so. At least uh -huh. I know I haven't seen her in anything that I've watched. Huh? I, I, I took a quick look and nope. nope. She's uh, pretty new to TV. A couple of videos on Broadway. Oh, maybe she has a lot of Broadway work. 
Oh, no. Uh, she did some work in a TV series called Stars in the House. Hey, that's kind of Star Trekky. <laughs> you have actual stars in her house. Wow. <laughs> stars in her house and comets on the horizon. Okay. Well, let's get into episode two, Children of the Comet. Ancient alien relic thwarts the Enterprise crew from rerouting a comet on track to strike an inhabited planet. <laughs> yeah, I, like the, I like the look on Pike's face when the, uh, the shields go up on the comet. He's like, yeah, <laughs> what the <laughs> hell? See that coming. While on a mission to study a comet near Persephone 3, Cadet Uhura and other officers gather for a very informal dinner with Captain Pike, which is what I want to go to. Well, while Pike shares a humorous story about the chasing of Minoskin during his brief time in the security division, Uhura expresses doubt regarding her future in Starfleet. She did kind of save herself with, a, with her sob story, too, though. Yes, losing <laughs> both her parents and her brother in a shuttle <laughs> accident. And then the <laughs> shocker that her grandmother was in Starfleet. No kidding. Another old hero. They've got to tell us more about that. Yes, we need something. <laughs> so, this is all vaguely reminiscent of Hoshi Sato's own uncertainty in the early days of NX-01's maiden voyage. The cadet's trepidation stems from a tragic accident that killed her parents and her brother. We also learned that Ohura's love for languages emerged when she sought to study all the dialects in her native Kenya. That's Dr. Party, too. Yes. <laughs> all was well until the simulation predicted that the comet will strike Persephone 3, a planet inhabited by millions of people from a pre-warp society. Wicked pre-warp, as they say here in New England. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they were not even close. Not close. The crew is shocked to you. I don't mean to rain on their parade, but sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> boom, boom, psh. The crew is shocked to discover that despite not registering any life forms, a comet possesses a security force field and a structure of some kind. Spock, Laan Nunian Singh, you still got attitude. Ohura and Samuel Kirk beam down and find an egg-shaped object. What were you going to say? Yes, she definitely yes. still has... Uh... <laughs> Good grief. As brave as his brother, Sam Kirk steps forward and receives an unexpected shock that temporarily stops his heart. Yeah, he really distinguished himself. Yes. Step away from the egg, yeah. Sam. Oh, I guess, yeah. I guess his... You just go, how... <laughs> That's like le lesson one. Yes. Um, that's like a kid putting it, uh, his tongue on, you know, a frozen light pole. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> he deserved what he got. Uh, I wasn't so sure he was going to make it through, though. <laughs> uh, I guess his mustache isn't equipped, come equipped with its own force field. Yeah. <laughs> with the comet's defense screen reactivated, the USS Enterprise cannot retrieve its personnel. Before Pike can make a rescue attempt, a vessel belonging to a group called the Shepherds fires upon the Enterprise for interfering with the comet, which the aliens describe as an arbiter with a preordained path through the universe. The Shepherds see it as their sacred duty to allow the arbiter to proceed wherever it may lead, even when it puts itself and others in danger. Yeah, so it turns out the Shepherds don't know as much about, uh, I forgot the name of the... The comet. The comet actually has a name, but yes. uh, <laughs> they know less than they think. Yes. As Spock tries to give Uhura a pep talk on her first away mission, the cadet exhibits an interest in singing and music that her future self will showcase on many occasions aboard James T. Kirk's Enterprise. However, these musical musings cause the comet's interior to react with brilliant lights, helping Uhura and the landing party realize that music is the key to interacting with the controls. With the alien starship overpowering the Enterprise in ship-to-ship -ship combat, Uhura and Spock 
singing in a fashion that would make Leonard McCoy wonder why Spock was not aware of the lyrics to Row, Row, Row Your Boat during the shore leave in Star Trek V, <laughs> Final Frontier. <laughs> Good callback. Yes. <laughs> no, Uhura didn't even notice that she was having an effect on the no, cave. And it was, it was, well, it was yeah, Spock. Just her little humming was, and that was funny, yeah, they... <laughs> How they the Enterprise actually hears the comment making that doing yeah that. yeah Spock goes I know that song identify <laughs> yeah that's right meanwhile Spock can covertly takes command of a shuttle executing a flight plan that goes much smoother than his later missions in episodes such as the Ga- Galileo Seven and the Muni Syndrome I thought of the movie too yes when he was in there with the red matter and everything yep. his sublimation caused by Spock's heat shields shears a section off the comet diverting it away from Persephone three while also releasing a significant amount of life-sustaining water vapor into the atmosphere. It was almost like it was faded. In Shepard's point of view, this fulfilled a comet's destiny. Just as James Kirk speculated about the presence of other planet killers in the Doomsday Machine, Pike ruminates on who created the comet and how many others there might be. That's another question. Yes. I don't know if they'll ever answer, but I hope we get something. <laughs> yeah, these would yeah. be interesting to find out their backstory, that's for sure. Yeah. They've already, have they already recorded season two? No, I haven't seen anything about them starting to film season two yet. I think they have because I've seen pictures of uh, James T. Well, in uniform. except for that, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we well, know James I- T. is in season two. Chasing around uh, Yeoman. And after further analysis, I want her on my ship. After further analysis, Uhura uncovers a star chart encoded in music transmitted by the comet. Sent before Spock's shuttle mission, the chart nevertheless includes an exact likeness of the piece of ice that broke off when the comet and altered its course. That was really interesting. Yeah. Uhura theorizes that the comet knew its fate, a concept that brings a smile to Pike's face as he clearly thinks of that news in terms of what he learned about his own future on Borat. Over a drink, number one points out, just because Pike received a message about his future, it doesn't mean he truly understands it. Una argues that Pike's fate could be what he makes it, a statement that the captain takes to heart. Sometime later, when he is alone, Pike pulls up the files of the people he's determined to save in the training accident that is still almost a decade away. Yeah, those were young children. They weren't yeah, they weren't even I, close to being cadets. So I looked at that and I got, oh, he's going to kill the kids. <laughs> he doesn't have to save them. <laughs> Sorry. But that, that's a big, that would be a major retcon. Yes. That's a big, big point in the Star Trek mythology. Yes, it Christopher is. Christopher Pike and his fate. So Children of the Comet demonstrates that we must challenge our perceptions even when the alternatives seem highly unlikely. The combination of the dinner party and the away mission provided an excellent opportunity for us to be introduced to who Cadet Uhura is, what she values, and what motivates her. Once again, despite its standalone status, the episode drops hints about Nurse Chapel's romantic interest in Spock <laughs> and explores Captain Pike's approach to what he perceives as his destiny. Is Pike's fate preordained? There's only one thing to do, and that's to await the Enterprise's next adventure, so hit it. <laughs> Yeah, Ohura picked up on the little flirtation, too. Kind of yes. gave her a, a look askance, like, what did you just do? Yes. They have the <laughs> loose. Spock was oblivious to it. He go Later on, he goes, she's not my girlfriend. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was teasing you. <laughs> 
teasing the science officer. Yeah. <laughs> all people. Still, I, I don't know. That's a, like I just said, it was a meat. That's going to be a major retcon. But I, I, I do have a sort of a philosophical question for you, Steve. The title of the episode is Children of the Comet. Right. So who are the children of the comet? Is it the people on the planet, the shepherds that follow it, or the poor souls that got stuck on it for a short bit in that away party? That's a really good question. Yeah. Yeah, because it very well could be either any of them. It's like the shepherds followed around. Like, right, uh, the shepherds followed children. around, but don't seem to do anything. And if yeah, the comet actually knew what was going to happen, yeah, and that it needed Spock to do what it did for it to survive. Yeah, maybe the comet treated it away party as, as children that uh, needed to learn something. Yes. Or the shepherds. If you look at this under the, in the lens of the classic Star Trek, it would be the people on the planet. Right. I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, yes, the, the water vapor is going to drastically change their planet to where they can actually advance. Yeah. I actually thought of that after the first showing, because I'm a big learn something new after two viewings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then at the end, I'm like, huh. Are the children of the comet? Anybody yeah, out there has their own theories? Let us know. Yeah. So we only got a couple of Easter eggs, I guess. And Steve couldn't find too much this week. <laughs> I'll get you for this. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's not as bad as last week. Let's start with the cadet's log. Although the end of the first Strange New Worlds episode, Strange New Worlds, ended with Pike recording a supplemental captain's log, that episode did not begin with one. Wow, total yeah. loss of yeah. history here. Now with the second episode of Strange New Worlds, we're back to the very old school cold opening and having a crew member record a log entry to set the stage. No, I didn't even notice that, but it's so it, it happens so often. You know, I'm just used to it. Right. Be clear, Discovery actually does this a lot. Very often with the log entries from Michael Burnham, or more recently in season four with Dr. Culber. That said, no live action Star Trek has ever opened with a long entry recording by Uhura, now played by Celia Rose Gooding. And to make matters even more interesting, because Uhura is a cadet and not even a junior officer yet, her entire approach to recording her logs isn't too far off from how the junior officers in Lower Decks record their logs. <laughs> Those are a little funnier. Yeah. Is Uhura now retroactively the first Lower Decker? Oh my god, that'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's she's certainly learning the right attitude. Yes. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the Persephone system. The name of the planet system through which the comet is traveling is called the Persephone system. The name is, in fact, a low-key spoiler from the entire episode. The ancient Greek mythology, Persephone, was the goddess of the underworld and therefore the dead. But she, too, was also the goddess of fertility. I don't know how she managed that one. <laughs> Tough job. Because the comet both threatens certain death is eventually revealed to be helping the planet have better, more fertile. So almost everything you need to know about this episode is right there in its name. <laughs> Curiously, Persephone was also named of Adam Soon's genetic daughters who died before Corey in the recent concluded second season of Star Trek Picard. Yep. A little spooky. Just a little. Yep. The Anar. I think I think I heard it pronounced, I was pronouncing Anar, Anar, and I, I heard, it might have been Uhura say Enar, or Enar, or Enar, the Enar, Enar, yeah, the new chief engineer of the Enterprise. Hammer may look like an Andorian, but he's actually a member of the Enar, who are considered a subspecies of the Andorians. Many people consider me a subspecies. Yes. First introduced in the prequel series Star Trek Enterprise in Season 4 episode called The Inner, seemingly all members of Inner are blind. However, as Spock mentioned in this episode, Hammer has a very heightened senses, which includes telepathy. This, too, was established in Enterprise. The episode also implies that Spock and Hammer may communicate telepathically with each other, at least slightly. Yeah, so if everyone, too. He threw the carrot right over his shoulder. I mean, come on. Yeah. 
This matches up what we know about the Inur from Enterprise. In that series, in the year 2154, the Inur were outcasts of the Andorians. Now, in the setting of A Strange New World, it's over 100 years later in the year 2259, and it would seem the Inur are fully integrated into the Federation. Poor people. Some fans believe that the Andorian Thelen, Thelen? in the animated series episode Yesteryear was a member of the Inur. Well, that's a hypocryphal assumption. Visually seeing Spock and Hammer interact as strange new worlds can scan a kind of an Easter egg to Spock and Thielen in yesteryear. If you squint, that is. <laughs> because the Anar only appeared in the series Enterprise, this marks the first time a species that was exclusively created for that series has become a series regular on a subsequent Star Trek series. There are no uh, Denobulans or Zindi as series regular on Discovery or Picard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also, from a chronological point of view, Strange New World is, in a sense, a direct sequel to Enterprise in the same way Discovery was for the first two seasons. This is also the second episode of Strange New Worlds in a row to overtly reference Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, they must love it. Yep. First episode, the crew was rescuing the USS Archer, named for Captain Archer, Scott Bakula, from that series. I was always bummed when that series only lasted, what, three years, maybe? Yeah. Because they all, they all do five. Maybe it lasted four. I really like the crew. Yes, I did, too. To so Paul. let's move on. What's that? <laughs> Love the T'Pol. Oh, yeah. She hasn't done much either. No. I looked sense. her up like, what are these people doing? And it, it's not much. They must be, they make their fortune. Yeah. And then retire. <laughs> I hate to think them as uh, typecast, you know, that would yeah. be a shame. Yes, it would. Too busy doing the con circuits. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. You know what my favorite episode was? Oh, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, I just picture someone going up to DePaul wearing the ears. Live yeah. long and prosper. Uh, get away. <laughs> so let's move on to pantless Nausicans. Pike telling a story to the crew about chasing a Nausicaan with no pants is pretty great. You know, my father has a World War II story about chasing a guy down an alley. But in the, he was in the service in World War II in occupied Germany after after the war. He played. He was a constable, amongst other things. So he chased a guy down an alley because they were stealing stuff from the uh, the pool where they keep all the Jeeps and cars and everything right. else. Motor pool, I guess they called it. And he goes, well, I got this guy. He, he went in unarmed. And then there was a loud bang and a flash from the end of the the end of the alley the guy he's chasing wasn't unarmed <laughs> and my father he just turned around and ran out back onto the street nope that's over yeah <laughs> kind of like pike's story yeah it's also funny because it establishes the enterprise captain seemed to always be having run-ins with nausicans in their younger days in the famous tng episode tapestry we learned that a young ensign jean card got into a bar fight with some nausicans which resulted in him getting stabbed through the heart yep this Redirected Picard's past somewhat, at least an accused alternate dimension in that episode makes us think so. Funnily enough, the context of Pike's story seems to indicate he was thinking of going into the security division of Starfleet rather than in command. So, like Picard, several decades later, the Pike's Nasa can totally change the direction of his Starfleet career. <laughs> Darn that zipper. Right. <laughs> number one, jumping from department to department. Pike kid number one about having different jobs and jumping from different departments. This seems to be an inside joke connected to the fact that Una is both the first officer of the Enterprise, but also occasionally the, the ship's helmsman. Yeah, that was news to me. Yes. In the cage, the dual role seems standard, but now in Strange New World, it seems that Ortegas is a default flight controller, which would probably make Una the, the navigator or the ops officer. Except that redheaded kid was the ops officer, too. Yes. I call him, call him ops, but I tracked IMDB. Couldn't find him. He, he doesn't have you no know, speaking role, so they didn't give him uh, any credit. Right, but in episode one, they had another female at ops next to Ortegas. Aha. But yeah, Una took over in this episode. Shift change. 
she's the fill-in. <laughs> right. For unfilled shifts. <laughs> in the pilot episode, La'an became acting first officer as well as chief of security. And, of course, in the original series, Spock is a science officer and the first officer simultaneously. That's true. Yep. Basically, in the original series era, at least on the Enterprise, at least all the officers tended to have more than one job. The idea also backed up by Discovery, in which Michael Brennan was the first officer of the USS Shenzhou and the lead xenoanthropologist. Hey, uh, was Scotty head of security at one point, too, in the original series? He's definitely a red shirt, but that doesn't yeah. mean anything. <laughs> I, I seem to remember him. I can't. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't, he you might don't think have so? been sometime, but I remember he was one of them burly, blonde-headed guys. That actually was the head of security, I think. We never, I don't. Oh, yeah, I remember him too. And it didn't call his name. (laughs) Yeah. It is not until the era of the motion picture that the idea of the XO executive officer becomes its own job. Riker didn't seem to have another job beyond being number one. And in TMP, Kirk mentions Decker will have to double as science officer. (laughs) Maybe they're trying to save money. (laughs) So apparently around the 2270s, being a first officer was its own thing. But here in 2259, it is not. I think Riker had enough enough to do when he leaping over chairs, (laughs) swinging his leg over the chair. I can only do two things. First officer and leg swinger. So here's a good Easter egg. Uhura's grandmother was in Starfleet. Strange New Worlds creates for the first time a detailed backstory of where Uhura came from. Although her late parents were not in Starfleet, it's established that Uhura's grandmother was. I wonder if there was an incident and her parents didn't go. Right. This is very interesting, as we suddenly know. Now we have another person, maybe in the last name of Uhura, probably, who was in Starfleet sometime in, say, the 2220s. Here comes the fan fiction. Yep. Who is the other Uhura, and what ship did she serve on? These details tossed out casually, mostly because we're reeling from the very sad story of Uhura's parents and the brother getting killed in a shuttle accident. But still, yeah, she managed to bring the party down a little with that story. Stop picking on me. Star Trek canon now has established another Uhura beyond Nyota Uhura, who was in Starfleet a while back. I hope we get a picture. Yes. The greatest thing about this Easter egg is that now we know almost nothing about the 2220s and the 2230s of Trek's history. Oh, yeah, that'll bring back the fanfic. Yep. <laughs> and good old Uhura singing. The character of Uhura sings a lot in the original series. But she makes music with Spock's in the original series Charlie X during a scene in which Spock plays the Vulcan lute or harp. And Uhura sings impromptu songs. In Children of the Comet, we are witnessing Spock and Uhura making music together for the first time. Wow. Well, he was trying to help her. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Lanon was saying, no, I, no, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So Sam Cooke is, uh, Sam Cooke, yeah, Sam Cooke, he's a good singer. He can sing. Yes. <laughs> Sam Kirk is the new Michael Burnham. Unlike his slightly more famous brother, we learned that Sam Kirk works in the xenoanthropology department on the Enterprise. This means that we know how both Kirk and Spock have siblings who are xenoanthropologists. Who'd have thought that? Weird. Yes. <laughs> Sam Kirk plays dead because Sam Kirk comes from the original series episode, Operation Annihilate, and dies in that episode. There's no way he can die in this episode of Strange New Worlds. That's right. However, when Spock, La'an, and Uhura are trying to help Sam after he gets zapped, actor Dan Janot does lay a little like William Shatner did when he played Sam's dead body in Operation Annihilate. They had to give that a nod. Yes. Also, no, Pike uh, talks about Sam's mustache, which, of course, only exists because in uh, the original series, it was a way for William Shatner to play his second character, albeit a dead one, and his old brother. Uh, yeah. And please, let us reiterate that Nurse Chapel is not Spock's girlfriend. Yeah. Uhura notices that would be awful upset. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> a jello fight. Sorry. <laughs> 
That's the way I think. Nora notices that Chapel is fiddling with Spock before the away mission. This is some deep, well-established canon from the original series. In the episodes in Naked Time and Amok Time, it was pre- made pretty clear that Chapel has unrequited feelings for Spock. Interestingly, at this point in chronology, Chapel is yet to make her robotist fiancé, Dr. Corby, from the original episode, What a Little Girl's Made Of. In that classic episode, Uhura was seemingly very familiar with Chapel's love life and seemed to congratulate her when Corby was thought to have been found. So, in Strange New Worlds, we're arguably seeing the beginning of not only of Spock and Chapel flirtation, but also Uhura and Chapel becoming behind-the-scenes best friend. Until then, the nails are out. Yes. <laughs> it was funny to have this wonky universal translator. Yes. <laughs> when the comet-loving aliens arrive and say, we are the shepherds, Pipe responds, really? That isn't a diss against the aliens. Pike is questioning, uh, is the universal translator is getting the translation right? This is a rare moment in Star Trek canon. We generally accept the conceit of Trek, allowing for instant communication with other aliens, though a highly advanced language, Sigma Bob, called the universal translator, which is built pretty much into everything. That's convenient. However, as we've learned in several other shows, the most famously Next Generation, Darmok, just translating the words doesn't always mean you can derive meaning. When Pike double-checks Ensign Christina, she says, oh, that's how the Universal Translator is processing it. <laughs> One thing to note here, Ensign Christina is Uhura's superior and therefore seemingly her direct predecessor as a communication officer. Well, uh-oh. Yep. <laughs> Wonder how uh, Uhura gets promoted. I hope we don't lose the uh, instant Christina. Right. But you never know. I just had a foreboding feel. Oh, you know what? I'm part comet. I can tell the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how about the Guardian of Forever? The shepherds say to Pike that the comet existed long before suns burn hot in the sky. This feels like a direct reference to, in the line from the original series, The City on the Edge of Forever, in which a time portal known as the Guardian of Forever said to Kirk and Spock, Since before your sun burned hot face and before your race was born, I have awaited in question. Oh, that must have waited a long time, buddy. <laughs> Millions of years. Yeah, I've been waiting for you. Escape pattern April Omega-3. Yeah, that was funny. Pike mentions a pre-programmed maneuver called Escape Pattern April Omega-3. This can all be a reference to Robert April, first captain of the NCC-1701 Enterprise, and mechanically introduced by uh, actor Adrian Holmes in the previous episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yeah, he tells Ortega do that maneuver, mm. and when it's looking dire, he just says, get us out of here. <laughs> and Ortegas has got her own. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Initiating. That was or- funny. <laughs> Take yeah. one. And yeah. he looks at her like. Pike looks at her. <laughs> yeah. After wow. saying, word gets around that you're supposed to be the best pilot. Let's yeah. see what you can do. Yeah, she shot him a look like, really? You know about that? Uh-oh. <laughs> so, trilithium resin. Thank God that got to mention in this episode. Yes. Pike makes a deep cut when he bluffs the shepherds into thinking the Enterprise will explode with trilithium resin. This references the next generation episode, Starship Mine, written by legend Morgan Jendel, who also wrote The Inner Light. In that episode, terrorists are trying to steal trilithium resin from the ship to sell on the black market to make a weapon. Trilithium is also the central MacGuffin of the Star Trek generations in the sense that Soren made a weapon out of it. That movie featured Kirk and Picard on horses and funny enough, Starship Mine also featured Picard being obsessed with horses. (laughs) I remember that. In these days, in Strange New Worlds, we know how Pike feels about horses. Yes, we do. Pike doesn't ride a horse in this episode, but Ohura does sing, and in the final frontier, her singing enabled Park and Kirk and Spock to steal horses. (laughs) What is with the horses? What does that have to do with trilithium resin? Well, ask Hammer. (laughs) So, Spock's solo mission. I didn't see it coming. No, I did not. Spock sneaks off the bridge again. Yes. 
The interior of Spock shuttle has several flourishes that match the interior of the original series shuttle designs. The most notable of these is the little round scanner that appears to be on the arm that can be swiveled. But beyond that, Spock flying a shuttle by himself into an, a possible intelligent, mysterious space phenomenon feels like a direct reference to the original series banger, the immunity syndrome, in which Spock flew a shuttle into a huge space amoeba. Like in Children in the Comic Spot, even lost contact with the ship briefly. <laughs> Take that, Marvel Universe. You're yes. the only one to go back in time. So, sorry and Brandy in Pike's Porta. Was it identified as sorry and Brandy? When I looked uh, at, like, Una sipping it, I'm like, I'll have a glass of sorry and Brandy, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> While Una and Pike discuss the grim future and what can be done about it, we see in the back end of Pike's room is a bottle of sorry and Brandy. The shape of this bottle is identical to all sorry and Brandy we've seen through the trek, starting with the original series, The Enemy Within. Other than Romulan and Klingon blood wine, it's easily the most famous Star Trek booze, and we believe that what Pike is sipping on the final scenes of this episode. I, I have no doubt he is. Yep. These guys are great at wisecracks, quips, and teasing each other. Yes. <laughs> and drinking. <laughs> Which is nice to see. I mean... Very casual. Yes, it is. And that's awesome. And we start Spock laugh. Yes. <laughs> see it. We heard it. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to laugh. <laughs> Everybody looks at each other. What was Did that? Did he say that? Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, man. That was just so up. <laughs> yeah, so two um, episodes under a belt, and those looks good. Oh, absolutely it does. I think I saw somewhere where it's already the highest-rated Star Trek show ever on. Holy smokes, really? I don't know if it was Rotten Tomatoes, but it was on some rating service. So, yeah. I yeah. don't think we're going to have too many fans not like this show. Yeah. This is bringing back all the all the haters on Discovery and Picard back into the fandom. So both episodes got rated at 8.3 on IMDb, both Strange New Worlds and Children of the Comet. That's pretty good. Yes, it is. Doing a little better than Picard, which should be their signature episode because he's one of the signature characters. Yeah. <laughs> History. Well, maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> well, as usual, our friend Fred from the Netherlands has provided... His thoughts on episode two. So let's hear what he thought about the Uhura episode. Hello, Steve and Dave, and all listeners to the Fangirl Zone. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 2. Really loved that this was a kind of Uhura-centric episode. Really put the character in her place quite strong although she's still a cadet and even doubting if she belongs in Starfleet. Apart from the story of the week I hope they also do a kind of character of the week episodes. If that's true I'm already looking forward to Nurse Chapel's episode. Being on that comet trying to communicate with this let's say kind of egg reminded me a little bit too much of Star Trek Discovery where they also tried to communicate indirectly uh, in that case with chemical compounds or pheromones, something like that, with the 10C species. The cinematography is very nice and all the easter eggs and references to the original series, including music, etc. is also very well done. So I'm quite satisfied with this first two episodes that will be all for this time greetings all the best fred from the netherlands well i definitely agreed with you on getting uhura's backstory the shocker was that her parents and brother were killed of course and that she has some doubt about actually wanting to be in starfleet so we'll have to see how that plays out 
Yeah. I like his observation about character of the week. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm totally on board on that. There's a lot of characters. Yeah, I'm sure there will be in a an Mbenga episode or Nurse Chapel episode, which will be my favorite of the season. I'm sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I really would welcome a character of the week. I mean, that's a lot of characters and a lot of. I, I think I prefer that everything centered on Pike and Una. I mean, Pike's got the the most famous backstory. Oh, of them absolutely. All. They're going to have to revisit that here and there. But yeah, now everyone, I guess, will deserve their due, as long as it doesn't get uh, too dramatic or, or sad, like has been observed before. Everyone seems to have a tragic past. Yeah, and I agree that the cinematography is absolutely fantastic in this show, and the the music cues are spot on, and you get all kinds of little musical callbacks in those cues so that that makes it even better so as always fred we really appreciate your feedback and looking forward to hearing your thoughts on episode three thanks fred well we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season our deadline for feedback is 10 p.m eastern every friday during the season you can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com Yes, please send us your Sam Kirk mustache theories. Yes. <laughs> want Pike to have one. <laughs> yes, I can outstash each other. So go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you'll find several ways to contact us via email or through social media. On Twitter, he's at Sawyer Steve, and I'm at the real underscore ID underscore Dave, just because I wanted to complicate things. Yes. <laughs> Make it a mouthful. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you use for your podcast. With good ratings and reviews, it helps other fans of the show find us, as there are plenty of other Star Trek Strange New World podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and we do hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcast. Third episode is on May 19th and is titled The Ghost of Illyria. So until then, remember, this is Chief Engineer Steve. It is highly improbable the comet could have randomly guessed the shape the ice that fell off would take with such accuracy. And this is Red Shirt Dave, and I'm going to apply my own <clears throat> rigorous logic to Nurse Chapel. <laughs> First chance I get. <laughs>